So Money episode 1101, finding the bright spots in this challenging academic year with teen and millennial expert, author and speaker, Ana Humayun. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. One of the things I think parents really need to think about or, you know, educators in general is this idea of the entrepreneurial model of success. And that's really what I subscribe to and I talk about in my books. And the entrepreneurial model of success is all about helping you develop the skills that you need to be able to be adaptable and flexible. And I think this pandemic more than ever has showed us as adults how we need to be more adaptable and flexible. And for kids, we're actually seeing how some of them are more adaptable and flexible than we are. Welcome to So Money, everybody. You know, I've been thinking a lot these days as a parent, as someone who just cares about kids, about you know what would have happened to me and my parents if at any point in my childhood, we had to spend a year of my schooling at home, away from classmates, stuck to a computer. You know, both my parents worked. English was their second language. We weren't well off enough to hire tutors. And here we are. This is the reality for many families today. In our home, our son is experiencing first grade completely virtually, and our work schedules, thankfully, are relatively flexible, so we can be there to assist him. We also have a tutor coming twice a week to reinforce what he's learning, but it's a lot of work. It's a heavy lift. It's cost prohibitive. It's frustrating. And I worry, you know, I worry all the time that he's not retaining anything. So I wanted to dedicate an episode to how we can think more positively and more proactively about this really strange year in our academic lives, in our children's academic lives. I couldn't think of a better person than my good friend, Anna Humayun, who is a noted teen and millennial expert. She's written multiple books. That crumpled paper was due last week was her debut book. And later she wrote The Myth of the Person. Perfect Girl. And her latest book is called Social Media Wellness. She's been featured in the New York Times. She's a frequent guest on NPR. She's been in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC. Anna founded Green Ivy Educational Consulting. It's an internationally recognized organization that works with parents, students, educators, and employers. She works with schools all over the world, universities and corporations, educators, employers, all the stakeholders in the world of education to promote intrinsic motivation, authentic engagement, and overall wellness. Just recently, with the support of the Foundation for the Carolinas, Anna launched the Life Navigator Middle School Program. It's a school advisory curriculum and school coaching program designed to promote executive functioning skills and student wellness, as well as social and economic mobility. The economics are clear. When you get a good education, when you get resources throughout your education, when you are inspired throughout your education, when doors are opened for you throughout your education, success happens. The road is paved. And I fear for many children right now, without that access, without those resources, we are leaving them behind. 
and it is not their fault. So as the adults in the room, how can we create not the best year, but still a great year for our kids? Anna has many, many strategies that we can all practice. They don't cost anything. And I took a lot of notes. Here is Anna Homayun. Anna Homayun, welcome back to So Money. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. We have to have this conversation. I had to bring you back on So Money. We were having too many direct messages on Instagram. We, you and I, uh, I love talking with you behind the scenes. You, we're just, we, we share so many uh, passions, whether that's education, our dedication to you know supporting equity and equitable measures. And right now, of course, with everything going on with school, you and I have been chatting a lot because your work is so in, entrenched in um, education. And I wanted to bring you on to do a little different kind of a show today where we're talking about education, but of course that is the underpinning of success, you know, and what determines your financial success, your career success, your life success is often, you know, your schooling. And right now there's a bit of a crisis uh, across the country when it comes to getting that education. And you're very much in the trenches with this as the founder of your company, which is Green Ivy Education Consulting. It specializes in promoting time management and wellness issues in the classroom and school communities. You're doing a lot busier than ever in some ways these days. I mean, let's just first start there. Like, How has this all maybe changed your work or the way that you approach your work? Well, thanks for having me. It's always good to be here. And I love chatting with you behind the scenes and now on your podcast. And, you know, what happened to us in March, so my office is located in the Silicon Valley, and we work with students around the country. We had already. So we had been using Zoom, and we had been helping students with executive functioning. Um, And then what suddenly happened is that everybody went virtual, right? And we were prepared for it in a lot of ways, um, because we had already done a lot of our work over Zoom. What we were helping, what we're helping students really navigate right now is how do they still feel engaged and have a sense of community within their school? And how do they develop the executive functioning skills to navigate seven different classes if they're a middle school or high school that may be online? Teachers may put their, you know, have a Google Classroom or have, you know, Canvas or another learning management system. So they're asking to check homework in one place, submit homework in others, and there may be four, five, six different ways of doing that, which can easily become overwhelming. So what we have found is our job is really about helping students create structure for themselves Mm -hmm. and create routine and consistency at a time that feels like everything's changing all the time, right? If we think about where we were in March in terms of what the messages were versus where we are today, we know that things are changing. And we know that, you know, we want our students of all ages to go through this school year, which may look very different and feel as though they have some sense of control and autonomy, that they have choices in how they spend their time and they have a sense of belonging and a sense of, you know, engagement within their learning process, even if much of it has to happen via a screen this year. Well, I'd love to explore some of these resources, strategies, advice. I mean, just to give you a sense of what's happening on our end, right? Evan is, my son is six. He's in first grade, completely virtual. In some ways, 
it is very challenging. He also has ADHD. So that adds another layer of challenge to his ability to stay focused and on task. At the same time, though, I'm finding delight, to be honest, in getting rid of some of those hustle routines of getting ready for school in the morning, the whole, you know, catching the bus, woofing down breakfast. Uh, My son also has executive functioning delays. And so, you know, everything took a little bit longer. And so that stress in the morning is no longer. Honestly, being home with him and being able to be engaged with him, although it's more work for us, I think it's helping him get through this. And I look at some of the other students in his classroom online because I can, I can poke in and see how everyone's doing. And some kids are like him working side by side with a parent, but others on a, like one kid the other day was in the backseat of a car. One other kid was at his mom's work wearing a mask. Another child today was having a tantrum screaming because she couldn't follow along and there was not an adult in the room to help her navigate. I I experienced that and I'm like, wow, I need to be a lot more patient. We are in, in many ways, in many respects, so grateful, right? For how the fact that we have the ability to provide for our son in the way that we are. So I want to make this show all about positive and resources and action and steps, which I know you have so many of this, of this stuff and people pay you a lot of money to to give you, (laughs) to give them this advice. So now we have you for free. Tell me, let's go through the ages. Let's start with pre-K kindergarten. What's the most important thing here for parents and uh, caregivers to know to give those kids the best experience? Well, I think the big thing in elementary school that you want to think about is we want students to get through the year with a love of learning and a curiosity for learning and that they have a enjoyment of literacy and that they're practicing their numeracy skills. So numerical skills, math, numbers, counting, math, depending on what grade they're in, those are important. We don't want students to come out of this year feeling as though because they were on a screen that they no longer are engaged or like learning or they um, equate learning to only being on a screen. There's many ways to learn. And I know that this is the delivery method of the moment because of depending on where you live and what's, what's, what's available to you, right? But if parents step back and think about, okay, what are the skills that we're hoping our child learns this year in general? Focus on the skills rather than, you know, test scores or those kind of things and really take your time and saying, how can we come out of this year so my child loves to read or books or, you know, those or graphic novels, right? If reading is hard or they're reading reluctant, um, what are the different ways that we can create opportunities for engagement? And one of the things that I've seen here on the West Coast, and again, I've been talking to schools all around the country. I do a lot of parent ed webinars for schools around the country. What I'm finding is that last spring was that a lot of schools did asynchronous learning, which means that they gave families a packet of information or students a packet of information to complete over the week. You know, one of the reasons for that was equity because they realized in the quick switch to remote learning, many students didn't have access to computers or Wi-Fi and they couldn't have an equitable online experience. So now that we're starting the new school year, what I'm finding is a lot of schools are doing synchronous learning where you know, they're having fourth graders online for three or four hours at a time. And the challenge there is I, I see a lot of kids starting to 
you know, lose their love for learning. And that's a problem. So I definitely think that things can be delivered well over video, right? There are kids who watch videos all the time. You know, there's nothing wrong there. I just think there needs to be movement. There needs to be breaks, especially with the elementary school level. And there needs to be a sort of interaction of some sort. So it's hard though. Everybody is in a different place. There are some families who have flexible work schedules and others who don't. You know, one of the things that we've talked, we talked about in the spring was, especially with elementary school students that may have um, attention deficit challenges to start breaking things into 20 to 25 minute blocks so that kids are never going to 45 or 60 minutes without getting up, stretching, taking a break, maybe walking around and doing jumping jacks. I also think to your point around how you had those morning hustles that you don't have anymore that are great to like, now you have more calm in the morning is to create a morning transition that allows kids to sort of feel like it's the beginning of their school day and then create an afternoon transition that can transition them back to the end of the day. That could be walking the dog. That could be, you know, going outside. I think particularly for students that um, sitting still may be challenging, doing some form of active movement first thing in the morning no matter what their age, really makes a difference just for 20 or 30 minutes. And so making that fun, none of this has to be annoying or overwhelming or challenging. It's really how do we approach it in this moment where all of the rules, all of the norms were sort of ripped up to shreds in March. And now we're trying to figure it out with different resources in this moment. One of the things I think parents really need to think about or, you know, educators in general is this idea of the entrepreneurial model of success. And that's really what I subscribe to. And I talk about in my books and the entrepreneurial model of success is all about helping you develop the skills that you need to be able to be adaptable and flexible. And I think this pandemic more than ever has showed us as adults how we need to be more adaptable and flexible. And for kids, we're actually seeing how some of them are more adaptable and flexible than we are as adults. Yes. And so when I think about this, I really think about some of the same skills that we want entrepreneurs to have, that they are nimble, that they're flexible, that they are able to bounce back when something doesn't go as planned are some of the same things that are, you know, really needed as we navigate this educational space over the next year. Yeah. And problem solve and just go with the flow. Yes. I love all of this advice. You know, just this morning, my son on his own went out onto the swing set and got a little bit of his his energy uh, out. And I think that helped. I think that helped with just a feeling a little bit less unsettled in the morning. And I asked him the other day, we were driving, I said, Evan, you know, I'm really sorry that you can't go to school like normal this year. It was the first full week of school and it was a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. I could tell by the end of the week, he was so over it. And I just, I I took a moment to just, you know, one-on-one thank him for hanging in there and, and letting the adults, you know, figure this out. It's an imperfect system. And I said, I really appreciate and I'm, I'm really thankful and you're doing a great job. And I said, do you ever wish that you could go back to school, you know, and see the kids and be in the classroom? He's like, yeah, but I don't want to get the virus. 
Yeah. And I really do understand these things. really get it. Yeah. He's getting it. And I think we need to give our kids more credit. And I love what you said about not focusing so much on whether or not they figured out that math problem today, but really focus on big overarching skills that you want to develop within your kid. Like I just want Evan to be reading by the end of the year. And that's (laughs) totally a bunch of books for Christmas. I want him to be able to read them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, you bring up a really good point. And I love that you said that, that acknowledging and validating for kids that this is different, this is hard, and that you as a parent may not have all the answers and what works today may not work tomorrow. Right. And thank you for giving it your all and your best shot. You know, my nephew is four and he, he knows, you know, that he can't go to friends' houses because of the coronavirus. And one day he was like, I hate the coronavirus. And I know that when it's all done, I'm going to go to everybody's house and hug everybody. And, and he said that, and you know, kids are so perceptive and nobody's telling him other than my sister, you know, really explained calmly of like, Hey, these are our choices in this moment. And I think making sure that kids feel like they have choices, right. And they have opportunities to learn in different ways, even in this moment, which is true, right? We can still get books in diff- from different places, no matter where you live. A lot of the libraries do pick up, even if the libraries aren't open. You know, in San Jose near my office, they do a great bookmobile. So there's lots of free resources once you are aware of them. And I feel like those are the things where if we can just get kids to even explore what they're interested in as a side for this year, right? That also gives them a sense of engagement. Like, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in dinosaurs. So let me, you know, do something around that. Maybe it's create something, play something. And then when we think about middle schoolers, you know, really developing these executive functioning skills, not just for this year, but generally, you know, or that means organization, planning, prioritization, that's really key. How do you bounce back when something doesn't go as planned? If kids can develop that in middle school, and this is a really key historical moment, um, it's super helpful. I've had high school students say to me, hey, you know what? I looked it up and historically pandemics are 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And so I'm okay with the fact that this next year, that's what it's going to be like because they had looked at it in historical context. I think a lot of it, us adults haven't done that, right? And so giving kids tools to help them feel like they are in control, that they can explore, you know, and that they have options in this moment, I think is is critically important and what we we do have an authority over. I mean, I was just listening to NPR this morning and about, actually, they were talking a lot about school and, and how to cope. And it was this uh, professor from Barnard College. And she said, let's remember this generation that is going through school right now, our five-year-olds, our 10-year-olds, our 14-year-olds, they're going to be taking care of us. They're not just kids. They're the future. And we need to, you know, model for them that they do have choices to your point. And this is a moment. This is a historical moment for them to survive this, to come out on the other side of this is going to be transformative for them. And hopefully, if and when the next time this happens, when they're in the position of making, calling the shots and we're all old and, you know, we need their support, they will make healthier, better choices for all of us. We have to yeah. invest in this generation. Right. And I think that that in this moment, the more that we step back and say, here's what we got right now. 
how are we going to move through this? The more that we can work with kids to give them a sense of, you know, here's where I need your help, right? Like if you're a working parent and you, there are certain things that they cannot disturb you for, instead of saying, do not come in here. Absolutely not. It's really like, Hey, I need your help with this. I really need your support with this. How can we turn this around where there we're all part of this team collectively? Cause kids want to be helpful at all ages, right? It may developmentally change over time. So I think that that, those are some things that we can think about is how do we get kids to develop skills that are age appropriate in this moment, worry less about sort of test scores and more about overall skills. How do we create time and space and structure within our day as our family that, you know, even if we're doing things in 20 minute blocks or 25 minute blocks, that that gives them a time period. And then, by the way, at the end of the 20-minute block, like say you gave 20 minutes to Evan and then he's like super engrossed, then that's just another 25 minutes or 20 minutes and you've just bought yourself 40 minutes, right? So Mm -hmm. it just is like a different way of stepping back and being like, hey, this is, in some ways, this can be very inconvenient. But at the same time, to your point, and to that Barnard professor, what I'm hearing from students you know, my older students that had have ADHD and executive functioning in the spring, some of their grades went up for the schools that were still giving grades because they were able to focus without the distractions and stimulation that came from school. You know, for my students with social anxiety, some of them were really just, you know, they were thriving with the fact that they could do their work and not sort of have to worry about a lot of the stimulus stimulation that would have been stressful throughout the day. Now, we still want them to be able to navigate that world and build those skills, but we have to recognize that this, you know, being at home and learning at home and learning virtually or learning in different ways in a hybrid model, you know, there are a lot of kids who have um, have had certain things that they've benefited from. Like what you said, you know, there are kids that are now not commuting for two hours a day. So that's two hours they have back. At the same point, there are kids that want to play after school sports and that's not available and that's their lifeline. So there, you know, all of these are things that we're navigating. And and so with those kids, I'm always like, Hey, what are some things that you can do in this moment that you may not have had time for before? Because maybe your sport took 20 hours a week, but now that you want to explore, and I guarantee you, nearly every kid has come up with three or four or five things. To me, that's a way of brainstorming in the positive moment. Some families are concerned about the amount of screen time. This was also something that came up on the interview I was listening to this morning. And the advice I I received was be patient. And and if you had these strict parameters around screen time pre-pandemic, you have to loosen up. And let's not forget that there's screen time that is just sitting and playing a video game and not, you know, engaging or just watching a movie. And then there's screen time, which is talking to your teacher, seeing your friends, socially connecting. And and so we have to sort of take it case by case and not just blanket all of this as too much screen time because some of this is actually working and is, is healthy in moderation, but it's not like, you know, your kids are going to come out on the other end of this as zombies. Well, especially, you know, in my latest book, Social Media Wellness, I talk a lot about this, this idea of, energizing and draining. And this relates here. So if you are, you know, as you said, all screen time is not equal. If you are 
FaceTiming with your friends. And that gives you a sense of belonging and connection because you can't see them in person. That's an energizing experience. We want to promote that in a moment where we don't have some of the same options. If you are online and you are grumpy and overwhelmed and irritable and you have headaches, that's draining and exhausting. So we want to figure out what can we do to change so we don't get to that moment, right? And when we think about how we're helping students navigate, if they're virtual learning or if they are in a hybrid or if they're in person and it might go back and forth over the course of the year, depending on, you know, what's happening in the community, we want to help students develop effective self-regulation skills and executive functioning skills, no matter what their age, right? Because what we don't fully, you know, address as a collective right now is that the transitions between systems are potentially tough for kids, right? So, you know, for- and the transition back is going to be tough. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it's going to be tough for adults, right? Think about all the adults that are working from home right now and are like, I don't have to, you know, do all these things that I was having to do. I mean, I'm talking to parents all over the country every week and they're saying, you know, actually like I can run when I want to, right? I don't have to, you know, do, you know, some of the morning or evening things, um, have gone away and that's given me more free time. So yes, you're right. Let's talk about the community aspect to all of this. You care deeply about teaching kids the importance of building community and also leaning into their community. And right now, you know, as a parent, I can say on my end of things, there's definitely some parents who, and they're typically the wealthier parents, who at the beginning of all of this were scrambling, but were successful in finding resources for their kids. And they were just kind of like focusing on their kid. Like my kid needs to get X, Y, and Z and the best for my kid and, you know, getting them tutors and one-on-ones and all of that. And I'll tell you, I looked into some of that stuff. It's very expensive. Um, <laughs> for, a lot, for a lot of families, it's cost prohibitive. And- very cost prohibitive. And then, but then there's like another, so like, what are we actually teaching? What is the danger to that? because kids are witnessing that and I'm as a parent I'm witnessing that and it's sort of leaving a bad taste in my mouth but I can get it too like you want the best for your kid but what about everybody else it's partly why I started you know the scholarship fund that we gave out over $7,500 to yeah, families thank you but you know it's it's a small contribution but it was in the midst of all of that that I was witnessing and and kind of getting irritated by it, but I also can empathize. So what is the balance and how can you do for your kid what's best for your kid, but still do that with respect to the need for promoting equity in your community, in your school? Well, I think one of the things that we buy into as a collective society over the last 20 to 30 years is that your child needs one-on-one or personalized support for everything. And what happened at the beginning of this pandemic is that many people were like, okay, how do I solve this for my kid? And I'm not blaming anyone, right? We always want the best. But I also think, you know, there's a lot of parental modeling and parental shaming going on where you feel guilty for both decisions, right? And so there's no winning situation, right? Um, If I don't provide my kid these resources, other people are, but yet they're cost prohibitive. And what about resource hoarding? 
And I think collectively, we want kids to grow up in a community where they feel a sense of belonging, where they're curious about learning, and where they feel like, you know, they have opportunities. And that doesn't just happen one way. And I I think this, this whole moment, as I said in the beginning, where it's like shredded a lot of the you know, norms and the things that we did. We would get up, go to take our kids to school. We would drop them off. We would pick them up. They would do after school activities, depending on where you lived. All of those went away. So now we have this fresh slate. I think out of fear, you know, fear is really the root of this. People are like, okay, well, what's the next blueprint in this moment? And the next blueprint is, you know, paying for these services. But if we really step back and say, well, well, if the end goal is this, What are the many ways we can get to this? And again, the end goal being we have curious, engaged learners who care about, you know, their family, their family and their greater community. Right. And so what I started doing with my students, middle school and high school students, I started asking them these five questions, three questions. I said, you know, what are um, five things that you would like to learn or get better at or spend more time with that you didn't have time to do before, right? Um, What are a few ways that you could be of service to your family or to your community that are of interest to you? And then what are some things that you can do every day to help you feel socially, emotionally connected and well? And kids loved these questions because they would come up with things like, cooking, crocheting, learning the guitar. I'm playing, you know, I I developed this album of music. They would say, I had one high school student say, you know what? I don't really love working with kids, but I'm going to go around my neighborhood, socially distance and check on my elderly um, neighbors and see if they need any errands run. And I can just leave them on their porch. This is a high school student. And kids were coming up with, you know, hey, I like to walk my dog or I like to play basketball or I like to listen to music or I like to read. And so they were coming up with their ways of navigating the pandemic. I am frankly, you know, the kids are doing better when they're given, you know, time structure and space to develop solutions. And I think a lot of the parental fear comes from, wow, there's no blueprint for this, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to sort of step back and ask ourselves, why are we so fearful of this moment? Like it's, Pandemics are 12 to 18 months, right? And we're in this moment for a while. We know this. And I think in the beginning, that was also what was so anxiety producing for people. We thought this was only going to be two weeks at home. I know the first packet they sent me home with Evan in March was like a dozen worksheets. (laughs) They're like, they're like, just put this in a safe place in the house. If and if we'll need it, which we don't think we will. <laughs> They're like, see you in two weeks at the end of spring break. We're just giving you an extra week. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's August. And his locker still hasn't been cleaned out, right? Like, so we also have to, you know, once we settle into this structure and routine, it gives us the opportunity to say, hey, within this blank slate, what do we want this year to look like? And I always say, collaborate with your kids to find solutions. They often have answers. Yeah. Like your, your son this morning where he was like, I'm going to go play outside. He knew what he needed. Lean into what they, and it's like, as a parent, it's hard, right? Because you think you know what's best. You want to create that structure. Mm-hmm. But this pandemic in many ways has been an experiment in trying new things. And you know whether it's like, I bought the $4 apricot scrub, the generic scrub from Target (laughs) 
because I never did before because I thought I needed the $34 one from Lancome. I dyed my own hair in the pandemic. It's like, just lean into what's easy. Go with the flow. Try new things. What's the worst that's going to happen? No one's going to see you for the next 12 months, you know? <laughs> well, I think, I think to your point, this, this is really related to that, you know, what you were saying before. And I love your Instagram stories. You're so great. So anyone who doesn't follow you has to follow you. Um, but the, the thing that you say is that you sort of like change, like lowers your standards a little bit, like the maintenance that we did, like, you know, the bar classes or the makeup or the hair. And that's kind of what I'm asking people to also do around being really overzealous that their kids need to have this, that, or the other. And in order to be able to learn, right? I think kids need access to supporters, people that they find supportive, peers. Um, and that may not happen physically in person, but that could happen online, right? Um, I'll tell you a really cute story. My nephew, who's four, my sister was um, uh, FaceTiming with one of her good friends. And the she has a son the same age. They're both four. And they, they like took over the, the FaceTime because they wanted to see each other. So my sister and her friend put them on Zoom together. I'm not saying this is, I'm just saying that this is something that happened for them. And they started like talking about their toys and doing show and tell and was the most organic moment ever. And I mean, that might be sad to people who are like, it's so sad that they can't see each other in person in this moment. And I agree with that. Um, but I also think like we, if we lower what we're thinking that has to happen in order for academic success to occur, and I don't mean to lower our standards around skill development and all those things, but I do think we need to relax and give kids a lot of grace, ourselves a lot of grace, our educators a lot of support. I mean, if you, you know, again, teachers are out there, administrators are out there. They did not get a summer break. I have been working with administrators around the country all summer, these are people who, you know, and, and they don't often hear, thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing. Yeah. Right. You know, they get, they get those angry emails. My kid, the zoom connection was terrible. <laughs> um, what are the lessons you think that administrators are already learning for the next pandemic? I often wonder what would, what would they do if we didn't have the internet? Why do we have to assume that digital learning is the next best way of, man of you know, working your way through your education? Pandemics are not a new thing. There was a pandemic- A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, and they had outdoor school. So yeah. do you think that there is, um, that is a mistake to, to think that we have to necessarily lean on, I mean, clearly there are benefits to the internet and technology, but but I think- have they learned any lessons you think about maybe how to approach it the next time? Better. I, I think that principals and administrators are having the hardest job that ever existed right now. And I'll tell you why, you know, it's one thing to be in a school, you know, if we think of 1918, right? There's 20 kids in the school, 30 kids in the school, you know, today, some of these middle schools have 1200, 2000 kids. Right. And so the idea of doing everything outdoors is just not logistically possible. But at the same time, you know, you know, so it's very different for a private school that may have a hundred kids in a grade and may have more resources like financial than it is maybe for a public school that has far more students and may have a segment of their population that relies on schools for social services that quite frankly, 
have become dumped on schools, right? Like yes. there are students that re- rely on school for breakfast and lunch, for social services, for mental health support. Like those are all things that before even administrators can even start to think about students learning and engagement and showing up, you know, those are some of these barriers. And I think collectively as a society, First of all, we need to appreciate our teachers and our administrators more. We all know that. Now that some of us have spent some time mm-hmm. at home with our children, we're like, oh my goodness, you have 25 of these students every day that you have navigated a learning experience for. That's a lot of time and energy, right? And the other thing, though, is that how we invest in education, right? We know that part of the reason we had to go to technology is like we have too many students for some of these things to be logistically possible in our public school system today. Right. And, you know, I think that if we could move forward, my goal would be though, here's what I think about. I've been talking to schools across the country. I've been talking to parents. I've been talking to kids. I've been talking to teachers, administrators, the whole gamut. And I think that's what gives me a unique lens And one of the things that I think is if we're going to go forward with remote learning when we do, especially for middle school and high school students, there should be very little to no homework because kids have been on us on screens all day and we should build in breaks of opportunities where like I've seen some schools do Wednesday where it's all asynchronous and then teachers just pop in for each student and do a check, even a five minute check in one on one. Hey, how are you doing? How are things going? Um, how we can get creative and how things are delivered virtually. So it's not just a kid staring at a screen where I know a lot of schools are doing this, right? They'll say, okay, for 15 minutes, they'll explain a lesson, do it by yourself for 20 minutes. They turn off the computer and and they re-engage. Now I'm also saying that there are some kids who have poor Wi-Fi connections. They have, you know, family challenges. There are, you know, my friend who's a school counselor, she visits homes where, you know, there are a lot of kids in in one space doing work. So everyone's in a different situation. So I think the more that we think about this in terms of providing structure and foundational support to promote engagement and curiosity for learning rather than test scores, achievement and markers at every moment, the more long-term we're going to, you know, come out of this with a population that has evolved and developed through this pandemic. I'm, I'm took a, a lot of notes. I'm going to share these with my husband over dinner. It's a constant dialogue, but I, you know, and I'm constantly dialoguing with you on IG. I'm so grateful for your time and sharing all this invaluable advice with our audience. And again, uh, education is a path to wealth. And so we're grateful to be having this conversation. Hopefully people listening, you're able to take some of this and bring it to your young ones and your older ones as they may be. Thank you so much, Anna. I wanted to make this a positive show. I couldn't have thought of anyone better than you to share the mic with me. Thank you for all the work you're doing in this really strange time. People need you more. I just recommended you in a mommy and daddy Facebook group. Thank no you. Surprise. Parents are looking for help. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much to Anna for joining us. That's Anna Homayun, everybody. She's the author of many fantastic books. 
My favorite is that crumpled paper was due last week. It's all about uh, executive functioning with boys. Her second book focuses on girls, the myth of the perfect girl, and her latest is social media wellness. And her company is called Green Ivy Educational Consulting. Check out greenivy.com. Green, that's I-V-Y-E-D.com. All these links, all these books are available at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. And let me know how you're navigating this school year with your kids. Direct message me on Instagram. Send me a note, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Would love to connect with you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. 